Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. And Abundantly Well, Seven Medicines, The Wise Woman Way, the newest book in the Wise Woman Herbal Series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Uh, thanks, Susan. How are you? Good to hear you. Yes. Oh, I am filled with that special joy that one has that lingers for so long after you've been with a gathering of women, and especially 
a gathering of women who love plants. Oh, yay. The Red Earth in Colorado. <laughs> Red mm. Earth in Colorado, yes. And mm. uh, getting to hang out, actually live with, for the duration of the conference, Beloved Eagle Song. Oh. And beloved, beloved Brigitte Mars and her beloved Bessie Lovelight. Oh. And, wow. you know, being there with Astrid and uh, Leela and her daughter, Leela, uh, apprenticed at the same time Astrid did. And they're actually doing some women's wellness work together in the area. And mm. uh, Sam who apprenticed, I think, a year before or after them. Lots of uh, uh, just wonderful women who I know or have had a connection with that I didn't know about. One woman mm-hmm. told me that her mother used Wise Woman Herbal for the childbearing year when she was pregnant with her and brought her up totally on herbal advice from me. Oh, oh my goodness. (gasps) Is that amazing? That is. Oh, wow. Wow. I I mean, wow. That just, mm, uh, it's like there's so much in that, a lifetime of uh, relieving. That's so beautiful. So beautiful. uh, Makes my heart smile. And I mentioned that I was with Brigitte, and Brigitte is lives in town with another past apprentice, a woman who apprenticed with me as Savitri, and her husband, Matava, and they lived in an ashram uh, nearby in Melbourne, New York. Um, he is not known as Matava now. Uh, he is, in fact, known as... Um, a very well-known herbalist in uh, in Boulder, and um, so he sent Brigitte this poem. He writes a poem apparently every week, mm-hmm. and um, Matthew Becker is his name, and this is the poem that he wrote last week. When my wife and I were living in the Catskill Mountains back in 1984, she went to study with an herbalist who lived down the road. Her name was Susan Weed. This was before she was a famous herbalist. Back then there were no famous herbalists. I had been exposed to herbalism before, but it was something that didn't really interest me very much. I knew that wild cherry bark was good for coughs, but I didn't have a cough, and if you had one, well... Who cares? My wife was staying at Susan's farm for one month, and on a beautiful summer day, I went to visit her. As I drove along to Socrates, I saw maple-rich woods stretching away into a red cascade of afternoon light. I had always loved nature, but to me, trees, just trees. As I rolled in, I saw Susan standing in the grass, and she turned and glanced in my direction. I saw something I hadn't expected. Her eyes were shining with a keen intelligence, and I knew it was a look I had seen before when I was eight or nine. I spent a lot of time walking through the old, dark forests of northern New Jersey. One day, while out in the woods, I felt sleepy, and I 
sat down and I hollered, ah, yes, I must have crashed for what might have been an hour. As I woke up so groggy, I saw a woman looking at me through the shadow of American basswood leaves and evening's first violet flame. Her look penetrated me like a sharp wave of lost memories rising up into an almost tangible melancholy sweetened with soft promise of returning fire. Then she was gone. What was, was I imagining this? What the hell? As I stepped out of my car, Susan greeted me like an old friend. Yes, a small part of each of us has met before. The wildness in all of us has the same source, and sometimes we speak and dream from a shared silver key. We started to talk about herbs, and it was as if she were pulling me into a vision of poetic fervor. It wasn't about health or healing. It was about it was about understanding herbal medicine as a spiritual practice, a, a way to recover something we've lost. She picked a wild lobelia up from a field and said, try this. I did. I ate the whole plant in one gulp. A second later, my head came off. She was now staring at me intensely. A tide from the inner world we shared poured out from the surrounding woodlands, and I saw someone I had known before stepping out from behind lean and graceful slippery elms. She had been with me all these years. But Susan was the one who finally introduced us. I understood then and forever that Susan's connection to the deeper forces of trees, plants, and the ones who walk silently from world to world had become my own. Herbal medicine wasn't about curing coughs. It was about transforming vision. Since that time, I have never worried about recommending remedies to anyone. The woman in the basswood will figure it all out. One of the things I am most proud of is that even though I only spent a few hours with Susan, on her official list of her 800 or so apprentices, I am listed as her second. I'm also the only man on that list. I spent the next few hours hanging out with my wife and feeding the goats. That was my only concentrated time spent with Susan, but it was enough. The match was lit. As I drove back to Woodburn that evening, I passed by that same grove of maples, now shimmering in the sun's soft reflection of sapphire dusk and bright early stars. Now, I saw as clearly as if looking into a cold mountain stream that trees were not just trees. They were a portion of a mysterious mana that fed every dream. It is not every day that someone hands you the world. It is not every day that we see Basswood smile. Although this took place 40 years ago, I still think of Susan almost every day. The wind sweeps away each late summer flower. Mm. Mm. Like, wow. <laughs> wow. 
we can feel the shift in our skin. Mm. Mm. Skin is so photoreceptive. Mm. Right. Mm. Yeah, it definitely does. My skin is already noticing not feeling those warm golden rays having the same effect. <laughs> but being very grateful for the warm rays that are there to yes. keep any little goose away. <laughs> well, tonight at 9 o'clock, Juliet Gaia is going to be with us. She has supported over 3,000 women and even a few men and couples across five continents on the path of healing and awakening through the union of feminine and masculine. She has a direct connection to the divine union wisdom stream, and her embodied wisdom is living the inner union and being in intimate relationship as a spiritual path. So come back here at 9 o'clock East Coast time or hang out with us until then so that you can hear what Juliet Gaia has to say. Anything else you want to share with us, Sarah? Mm. Uh, no, thanks. I, I, I feel shared. <laughs> okay. Do we have any questions? Uh, We do. We've got two hands that are already raised, and I'll let everyone know that if you have a question and would like to speak live to Susan this evening, just press one, and then we will see your hand go up. And when it's your turn, I'll announce your area code, and you'll be live with Susan. So we will go to the first of our two callers that have raised their hand, and you are dialed in from the 815 area code. From the 815, you are live with Susan. Good evening, Susan. Good evening. Hi, I have a few questions um, tonight, and I just want to thank you for all of your teachings. They have totally transformed um, my entire lifestyle and way of being. Wow. Well, you're the one who's transformed your lifestyle and your way of being, but I appreciate being given the honored (laughs) place of... um, it's someone who you trust enough to try what I suggest. Thank you. Um, my hypericum oil this season did not turn red. It's like a golden, a deep golden color, and I've never experienced that before, and I'm not sure why. The red color comes from a constituent called hypericin. And it is generally indicative of the active constituents, of which there are many, being present. If the oil or the tincture doesn't turn red, there's several possible reasons for it. The first one can be that the plant was picked when it was wet. And those compounds only develop when the plant is in the sun. In fact, it's much, much better if you can hold off and not make a preparation from it until at 
least 24 hours after a rain. And it, there tends to be more hypericin in the morning than in the afternoon. So once the dew has dried and the sun is shining on it, to get out and pick it fair first thing rather than waiting until later on. Hmm. And if too much green material is used along with the flowers, it's not going to be as red either. Do any of those apply to you? I picked just the flowers. I thought in the hype, I heard someone say that the buds have more juice. So I focused more you on buds. You picked some buds too? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I picked buds and flowers. I have a few different batches that I picked. I know one day for sure was overcast. But they were the flowers were dry, although it was a very wet year. We had a very wet spring and early yes. summer. Yes, if you're in the northeast, it was a pretty wet year, and it was hard to get that 24 hours without rain. Mm. Um, it still has that hypericum smell though, and I don't. Well, then, you know, I would, I would, I would, I never throw anything out. Still use it, yeah. I still use it, and then I kind of note, you know, oh, you know, well, this is good to know, you know, it works just as well as the red stuff, or hmm, it mm. doesn't seem to work as well. I really need to have that red. Whatever you discover from that. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. You're so um, welcome. Thank you. My next question is related to um, these mucus clots that I've been coughing up. Since I was sick in December with, I believe, a lung infection, and when I recovered, I have been having on and off mucus clots that I kind of hack up um, since then. So it's How so like you are. I'm ten, so happy, happy to hear that. How healthy you are! I'm so happy to hear uh, that. I know because it's my body's working it out, which I am grateful for, and I've yeah. been doing I. I've been doing something, these. There is something in your environment that your body does does not like. Right. For, for me, um, what it took was eliminating all candles and all incense, including herbal smudges. Oh, um, including herbal smudges. Oh. <laughs> I know. Hmm. It's very really just. But gee golly, you know, I really, I had like a chronic, <coughs> not a bad cough, but just a chronic cough for like years. And things would help a and little, but not really help. And when I just really like stopped burning things in my environment. Oh, okay. That's good to hear. Because I have um, an herbal smudge stick with my plant allies that I burn almost daily and I constantly have have beeswax candles going. So that's a good thought. Is there anything else I can do supportive? I mean, I've been doing the infusions and plus mullen infusion and sometimes the these mucus clots are like yellow or green and so I've done on and off echinacea tincture because I wasn't sure if there was an infection present with the color of the mucus. Um, usually, just, usually, mm-hmm. if you're coughing up a mucus 
clot. It's not from your lungs. Hmm. Where is it coming from? Your sinuses. The sinuses? Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So stop burning candles and incense. And see and just, if your sinuses are happier. And see if my sinuses are happier. And just trust that my body's yeah. doing the process. Okay, And wonderful. right now, thank you, body, for accumulating and then getting rid of stuff that's not needed or wanted. Wonderful. Um, yeah. And then... I have a chasteberry, a Vitex tincture going that I read from your Down There book. And now that it's ready, I am not sure. I've heard with Vitex that dosage and time of month varies of how much to take and when during your cycle. And I just wanted to follow up with you on that. I made it. Um what because are you? Reading, what is your purpose for um, taking that? Well, I had the dried Vitex berries, and I remember reading about your Vitex tincture, and just thought, well, that'd just be great to have on hand in the apothecary. Um, and I was thinking, so I know usually, hormonal usually what I like to mm-hmm. focus on with Vitex is that it helps to maintain strong communication channels between the hormones and the glands. Mm. This has a tendency to normalize cycles, has a tendency to extend fertility during the menopausal years. It has a tendency to circumvent PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, so that women can become pregnant. It has a a really nice kind of round helping effect for women who are in trouble and need it. So, while it wouldn't be a bad thing if you wanted to just take it to experiment with it, in Mm -hmm. my mind, that's generally not how I would use it. Okay, good to know. Um, felt like that was a good one to have on hand. At the time, yeah. I was having yeah. like... And then the other felt- stuff I would say is just really <laughs> making far too complicated a thing. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. Generally, yeah. what's important is that large amounts of Vitex are taken and that they are taken repeatedly. Quite right about those things. Mm. 
Do I have time to ask you one more question? Yes. Wonderful. Thank you. I have compressed discs in my spine, um, and some of my vertebrae are very close to touching and sometimes do touch and pinch and pinch my nerves, which is very painful. Um, At this point, I'm wondering, is it possible to regrow my discs or get juiciness back into my disc space, get more space in between my vertebrae? I hear you, and I'm not going to quite answer the question that you're asking, but I hope it's going to lead to the same happy ending. About 20 years ago, I was a little surprised to see a pretty groundbreaking study in which they looked at people who had bulging discs. And they found that only about half of them experienced any pain from it, and the other half didn't experience any pain at all. And one of the doctors involved with this was Dr. Sarno. And Dr. Sarno was very early MD working in mind-body medicine. And he theorized that there was a difference in the way people were experiencing the pain. Is pain in the brain? Well, yeah. Does that mean we're making it up? Not exactly, but there are people, fortunately only a few, and it does run in families, um, who actually can't feel pain. And they usually uh, don't live a long time because they don't know to not hold the hot thing or to stop putting their bare hand in the ice or to not gnaw on the inside of their mouth. So they're actually getting the same and worse physical sensations and assault that you and I are, but they aren't feeling any pain. And so Dr. Sarno believed that then any one of us could learn how to not feel pain, but to do that in a healthy way, not in a way that would lead to the actual self-mutilation that occurs in the people who literally can't feel pain. And he actually um, had tens of thousands of people who used his program and indeed found relief, especially especially effective for back pain. Since I'm um, dealing with a variety of different chronic pains um, for about the past four years, it's quite of interest to me. And I'm just going step by step through the program. And the point that I've gotten to is that we are um, committing ourselves to our belief in this program that we're going to be able to identify uh, the stresses 
that are leading to the muscle tension that's causing the pain and to um, deal with those stressors in a way that will allow us to be more relaxed. And that while there may continue to be pain, our relationship with it will be different. I can, in a way, kind of have a background story on this, which is the Bates method of eye improvement. And one summer, for no particular reason that I remember, I started harassing all of my lovers to take their glasses off. And so finally they turned on me and said, you wear contacts. And I said, oh, that's different. They said, no, it's not. Take your contacts off. And so we're all kind of stumbling around. And so we decided to do the Bates you know, method of natural vision improvement. And I actually spent uh, maybe 14 or 16 months really seriously doing Bates exercises and reading the books. And I even went to, to a Bates teacher, really devoted myself to it. And what I found at the end was that it really changed my relationship to my really poor vision. So I'm totally comfortable with it. I'm just fine seeing the way I see. I don't need sharp outlines. Now, there are times when I want sharp outlines because otherwise I'm probably going to like stress and strain. Like if I go to a movie, I'm going to wear my glasses. But right now I'm not wearing my glasses. I don't need to see anything sharply. I'm talking in the phone. So I suggest you check out um, either Dr. Sarno's work directly or I think Pain Cure Clinic. Uh, offers um, one of the most affordable programs if you want to have uh, guidance and mentorship with uh, Dr. Sarno's work. But I think that you will find it very interesting. Meanwhile, Qi Kong, Tai Chi, Yoga, and Kava Root. Mm. Kava Root is the great... Uh, reliever of muscle spasms. I will admit to consuming both Hypericum on a daily basis to relieve nerve pain and um, tension in the muscles as well as Kava to directly release the pain and the spasm in the muscle. And is that a Kava tincture or you're doing an infusion? I have been doing an infusion, but I just made a tincture because I'm going to go out to California for my granddaughter's 16th birthday at the end of November, and it's easiest to travel with the tincture. So I filled a bottle, um, about a third full, with dried cover root tincture that I got from Starwest Botanicals, and then I poured 100-proof alcohol all the way to the top of the jar. And I shook it up a little bit because it's dried root and it's sometimes hard for the uh, alcohol to get in there because as it expands, it can trap some dry areas. And the first thing I noticed was that it foamed up. And I thought, whoa, is this fermenting? It's not. Um, I kept, you know, like loosening the lid and listening for that that you get, but I didn't get it. And just out of curiosity, when I was packing to go away to Red Earth, I tasted it, and it knocked my head off, as Matthew said in his poem. And so I took a bottle with me, and women who 
were experiencing um, the side effect from the altitude of headache found a few drops of it almost immediately relieving. How long did you say you let it speak for? It was it was there for 48 hours, and I started using wow. it. It started working amazingly fast. It's one of the wow. fastest extractions that I have ever seen. It's highly effective, even wow. when it had only been there 48 hours. Amazing. So I actually took, you know, a, an ounce out of the fairly big jar and poured another ounce of vodka back in to let it sit for the for the standard uh, six weeks. And should I run out from this ounce, um, <clears throat> I'll probably be siphoning some more off. It's truly a wonderful, wonderful helper at Red Earth. There was a sacred kava ceremony, and the woman who led the ceremony talked to us about kava. And it's wonderful to share um, both the kava drink that she made, which she made with powdered kava. She likes to get the powdered kava root, I think she said from Bali, and mix it with some kind of fruit juice. What she fed us was mixed with mango juice and water. And it was it was quite potent. Kava, of course, you can tell uh, if it's potent because it will make your nose tingle and your tongue tingle and sometimes your lips tingle too. Wow. That's amazing. Thank yeah. And, you know, many um, herb suppliers call it kava kava root. Right. My understanding is that in the languages of the Pacific Islands, the duplication of a word is its negation. Hmm. So there is a plant called kava kava, which isn't kava. But don't let it throw you. It's not sold. So if somebody's selling kava kava, it's probably the right plant. Probably the right plant. Okay. Probably the right Because not everybody's in the know. I did ask her. I said, I have heard that kava is a plant that has been so speciated by human cultivation that there are few wild species left. She said there are no wild species left. You get cultivated kava or you don't get kava. Hmm. Hmm, right? Hmm, yeah, so Star West Botanicals kava root. Star West, a good source that, of that it, is yeah. a great. That is a great tip. I very much look forward to making that as a tincture. Um, I've had kava yeah. a few times, so that's, that's good to know. What was? How do you spell the name of this doctor who's doing the pain research? Do you know? S-A-R-N-O, Sarno. 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 I believe he's dead now. And is there a certain institute or place I can find his research? Uh, on, online, one of the reputable um, mentoring sites is Pain Cure or Pain Cure Clinic. But I think you can get there just with Pain Cure. Beautiful. Thank you. I really appreciate all of the 
herbal information that you share and how much is cataloged is really, really phenomenal. And all the all the people that you interview. It just is enhanced. So we much. live in such a fascinating world, don't we? Yes. Yes, we do. Yes. And it's just so much information. You can never actually experience boredom. You are so correct. <laughs> Thank you, Susan. Bye-bye. Green blessings. Green blessings. All right. And this time I see two callers that have pressed one to let us know they've got a question. We'll go to the 347 uh, for our next caller that's dialed in from the 347. You are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. How are you? I am well. How are you? I'm good. Um, I have two questions for you. Uh, They're kind of related. So... A few months ago, I had the opportunity to get the soil tested uh, where I live. I live in Kingston, and the lead level was really high, to my surprise. Um, I hadn't considered it previously when I was gardening, and now learning about this uh, makes me um, feel a little concerned because I had dug up some uh, burdock roots uh, near where I live and make tinctures of it and now I'm just wondering if that is safe to consume and my other question is that I do like to forage for herbs and um, sometimes I'm not sure of the soil condition where I forage things from and is there any tips or sort of useful advice I can get from you regarding to that? Well, I would say that it's certainly not wise to ingest things that are rich in lead. However, the soil being rich in lead doesn't mean that the plants have taken it up. Mm. Mm-hmm. So plants are really quite specific in which things they pick up. One of the more interesting jobs that I had was um, with a group called Gardens for All. And we were tasked with putting gardens in really some pretty, uh, what would now be called food deserts. Mm -hmm. Places where we went in and basically took over a vacant lot. Yeah. And and gardens there. And, this, and and sometimes we were gardening on a median strip on a highway. And there was always lead in the soil. But what we found was so long as there was organic matter in the soil, then there wasn't lead in the plants that we grew. Mm. The healthier the soil, the less likely it was for the plants to pick up what are collectively known as heavy metals. Mm -hmm. So what makes a heavy metal heavy? It's literally heavy. Right? Gold floats, right? Mm -hmm. Lead sinks. Mm -hmm. It's a heavy metal. So... If there's gold in the soil, 
you're almost sure that that gold is going to be in the plant because the plant is a light light mineral it's easy for the plant to get the heavy ones it's not easy for the plant to get and they generally won't pull up heavy metals unless the soil isn't providing them with the life that it needs and the life in the soil is what makes the soil minerals available to the plants so by increasing soil life you decrease the possibility of anything that isn't healthy being in the plants you grow. Mm. Testing for lead is widespread, easy to find, and generally quite inexpensive. Mm-hmm. And water is usually what's tested, but if the soil has already been tested, then you probably even know where to go and get some of the burdock root that you dug up tested. Mm, um, I was like at this workshop and this woman had a little machine where she had us collect soils in plastic baggies and put it on top of this machine where it scanned and gave a rating immediately. So, so, but the spread out. Oh dear. You know, Mm. in those kinds of cases, what I usually seek is a second opinion. Mm-hmm. Right. When I was told that, that I had cells in my body that were cancerous, I sought a second opinion before I did anything at all. Mm-hmm. So how about if you get a second opinion? And, you know, the best second opinion comes from somebody who disagrees with the first person. Mm-hmm. In other words, some... Um, Uh, you know, actual laboratory. Mm-hmm. As I said, um, testing for lead is ubiquitous. All places have some kind of government program in place to test for lead. Mm-hmm. It's how we tested for it at the Gardens for All, how we tested the soil, how we tested the produce. So you just have to find out how in your county you get things tested for lead. Your cooperative extension, and there will be a cooperative extension office at your county seat, can help you. Also Mm -hmm. generally calling the county seat or the Department of Public Health, your county Department of Public Health, can help you connect to places that can test for lead. Okay. But the tinctures that I had made previously in the area that I live, um, should I still be consuming them? Um, I mean, they've been working You do not fine. know anything about your soil yet. The question is premature. I would hold on to those tinctures until we get further information. One report is not enough to go on, especially when it comes from a source that would not normally be considered a powerfully supported source. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. I'm certainly yeah. not against getting information from all that's available to me, but I also recognize which of that information has more validation and which has less. Okay. So it's pretty easy to get frightened because of that. Because of that, people can take advantage of us by frightening us. Um, This person was a researcher. She did it for free, and she wasn't trying to... She wasn't trying to sell anything. Yeah, she was just uh, hosting a workshop talking about how to remediate lead as if you're a gardener. Uh Uh-huh. so, and she said that the machine that she had was like a newer technology where it used to be very bulky and uh, there wasn't anything in the field that you could use. And she had access to this, so she's um, just helping local gardeners to sort of... Well, that's oh, how kind. Yeah. I'm glad. Thank you for yeah. getting that context for me. So it's not quite as yeah. uh, off to the side as it sounded like at first. Okay, sorry. Um, yeah, that's quite and okay. Al- yeah, and also the number was like two thousand, where she was saying the right, the safe number would be below eighty. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was also saying that when she was li- uh, living in the city in New- uh, in New York, the number was four thousand in her backyard. So, I mean, like my oh, number again, is also- again. Yeah. My direct experience is that the soil can be very high and it's not in the plants. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is the soil in your garden supported by chemical fertilizers? No, it's actually... Do you put chemical herbicides and pesticides on your soil? Uh, No, nothing like that. Do you add compost to your soil? Yeah, where I garden. So those things indicate to me that your soil is healthy, high in organic matter, and that your plants are unlikely to be accumulating any lead, even if there's lead in the soil. It's not a slam dunk. It's not like lead in the soil, lead in the plant. It doesn't happen that way. Okay. That's good to know. Thank you. The plant has to actively reach out to get it. Mm -hmm. And if the plant is being nourished well, then it doesn't want a heavy metal because they're too heavy. Mm -hmm. They They prefer lighter things. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I also just have another question specifically about Linden, just because it's so abundant in a lot of the sort of parking lots, um in some kind of municipal building I've been noticing. Like even in New York they just grow on the sidewalks and it's very easy to collect them, like in May and June and I've been doing that for the past couple of years. Um, 
but since this thing happened, I am getting a little bit, you know, again, concerned about doing, having that practice. So, first of all, there is very little in the exhaust from an internal combustion engine at this point that would be a problem for you, and there's certainly no lead in it. Yeah, that's not what I'm con- I'm more concerned about the soil that's, like, growing, that the plants are growing, like, from. Uh-huh. And what do you mean you're concerned? You're concerned that there might be lead in the soil and therefore lead in the linen? Yes, that's what Not what's in the air. You're more concerned about what might... Again, find your cooperative extension and Mm -hmm. see if you can get it tested. My basic take on all of this really is we are living in what the plants are living in, yes? Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. And so it should help us to ingest plants that are living where we live, even if where we live seems to be not necessarily the healthiest place. Do you know that there are people who stayed on at Chernobyl? You know what Chernobyl is, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So there are actually people who stayed there. They said, we don't want to leave. We're just going to stay here. And they continue to garden and basically all they have to eat is what they produce and they're still alive to this day. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, let's take this way up. What's your other choice? Stop yeah. using linen. Buy linen somebody else was harvested from you don't know where? Yeah, but I do have the label organic if I purchased from Frontier. So I wonder... I don't know, is that like a better practice to support those businesses instead? I personally think it's much better to use what you harvest, but that you will also be buying from Frontier. Okay. If you're yeah, going, to be using, going to be using an, right, an ounce of herb a day, you're not going to be able to gather all that, but gather what you can. Because what did Matthew say in his poem? That it's not just about what the herbs do. It's a spiritual practice. It's a spiritual practice to reconnect us to the abundance of the earth. It's a spiritual practice to give us purpose, to gladden our hearts, to help us to ease into the green blessings that are all around us. Okay. Thank you. Okay. And somebody mm-hmm. is trying to frighten you out of this. Mm-hmm. Right? This is not a major part of your diet we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Right? How much linden did you harvest? How many pounds of linden did you harvest? Um, you t- I have, like, oh, I think it's probably going to last me six months, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I, got, I got a, quite a bit. I was very vigilant. <laughs> about harvesting them like that is wonderful know. but have you been weighing it out no i harvested probably the same amount last year and it last uh, what i'm saying months. is 
when you use the, that linden to make your infusion, do you notice yes. that when you weigh it out that you have to use a lot more than the linden that you buy to get it to an ounce? Oh, interesting. I haven't really been paying attention to that. That's why I ask you to use a scale to make your infusion. Okay, I do, but I guess I just haven't really... Because um, I just I just harvested this year. I think they're uh, just ready because it's yeah. kind of... They're dry now. Okay. So I'll be using them. Yeah, so and, what yeah. I notice is it looks like I got a lot of linden, but it's gone fast. Okay, okay. Okay. So, again, what I'm saying is even if it were your entire year's supply, how much of your diet would that constitute? Mm, probably very little. Say at say you harvested five pounds of linden. Mm-hmm. Spread that over a year. Yeah. Right? There's what, sixteen ounces to a pound? Yeah. Five Five times 16 is 80, so you have 80 ounces over a year. There's um, what, um, 30 milliliters in an ounce, so it's 240 milliliters over the year. It's a tiny amount, right, over the course Mm -hmm. of a year? Yeah which is what you're saying. And what's really important in our diet are the big things. Mm-hmm. The fats that we're eating, for instance, which are going to constitute a third of the calories we intake. Mm. As I often say to people, if you're not eating or all your fats organic, then buying anything else organic is absurd. Mhm. Yeah, but I've been following that uh, that advice from you. Yeah, yeah. So that's you know you're doing that. You're doing great. And if you're at all concerned about seaweed, I'm sorry about lead that you might be ingesting, increase your intake of seaweed. Mhm. 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 Okay. With a a local contractor who had the dust at his house checked for lead. It was very high, and they were tracking in lead dust from outside on their shoes, and their child's blood level of lead was very high. And again, all of these are free tests, uh, usually Department of Public Health. Ask the Cooperative Extension to help you get in touch with lead tests. And they fed her seaweed for six weeks and the level of lead in her body was back to normal. Mm-hmm. So if you put seaweed in the soil, it's not that the seaweed gets rid of the lead in the soil. It's that the seaweed provides the minerals that the plants want so they don't uptake the lead. And actually, I suspect that's how it gets rid of the lead in our bodies, too, that our cells don't want to hold on to lead. It's too heavy. They want want lighter minerals. So when we provide them, they say, oh, wonderful, thank you very much, goodbye lead. Mm. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Okay. That's very helpful. Oh. Thank you so much. You are welcome. And again, I think it's quite important for all of us when we hear these kinds of things to um, stop for a moment and lean into the blessings that what we want here is you picking that linden and loving that linden and interacting with that linden. And that will be of benefit to you and all beings. And your being afraid is not going to have the same effect, even if you still use linden. Mm-hmm. Robin Rose yeah. Bennett. I think she was apprentice number seven. Um, and there haven't been 800 apprentices, Matthew. I think it's like something like 337, 38. Anyhow, <laughs> Robin Rose went from here back to Manhattan, lived in Manhattan, I think, for the next four years before she moved to New Jersey, and basically dealt with all of her many um, difficulties from plants she harvested in Manhattan. She called herself the City Green Witch. She's a brilliant mm-hmm. woman. Has written two wonderful books, Robin Rose Bennett. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll look her up. Great. Okay. Thank you so much again. And, green um, blessings. Yeah, green blessings. Good night. All right, and at this time, there are four callers that have pressed one with the question, and we'll go to the next caller in the 512 area code. In the 512, you are live with Susan. Hey, Susan. Hi. This is Jamie in Austin. How are you? (laughs) I'm enjoying this beautiful day in the Catskills. Well, um, that is, that sounds lovely um i'm actually out walking and my battery is a little bit low on my phone so i will jump straight to the point um right i uh learned from one of your online resources that uh three drops of wormwood every hour for four hours i believe it is um is good to help with diarrhea. Um, I am wondering uh, if that dosage would be... I think what you mean, when you say help with diarrhea, Uh um, it's confusing to me because I don't think that diarrhea needs any help. Okay. (laughs) So I, I... think that you're asking if wormwood is something that can stop diarrhea. And the answer is, it depends. Okay. It depends well, on also, what's actually happening. What is okay. causing the diarrhea? For instance, perhaps there's food poisoning. If it's food poisoning that's causing the diarrhea, then slippery elm would be a far better cho- choice than wormwood. 
Okay. Yeah, Wormwood is a very, very strong digestive bitter. Mm-hmm. And it is often used when there's diarrhea from parasites mm-hmm. or from some bad bacteria in the water. When my parents decided they were going to India and they were going to travel around on trains, I gave them each a bottle of wormwood tincture and asked them to take a drop in each thing they drank. And they did, and they had no intestinal upsets for their entire stay in India. So, and then, well, okay. But I wouldn't... But I wouldn't first think of wormwood if a person had diarrhea. If a person had diarrhea, the first thing I would want to know is how do you come to have diarrhea? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a bit of a mystery, I guess, at this moment. Uh, it was actually, so it's two of my kiddos, but one is an adult. She's 17. We haven't done anything yet, and I do usually just opt for slippery elm. We, I had thought that it was food related, um, but then she had it for, it's just been a little longer. She's on like day four or five. Um, and then my four-year-old got it. So it was obviously more of like a stomach bug or something, I guess. Um, and the four-year-old, she's pretty keen on slippery elm. And I, that was part of my question. I have actually never used wormwood, but I have it, um, on hand, just, you know, in case of, you know, in the event that I would need it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess if, uh, I'm not at my, I'm walking, so I don't have my 17-year-old with me to, you know, like put her on the phone or ask her any specific questions. Yeah. As you say, you're out, out walking. Um, I, it seems like overkill to me. Okay. Right? If you think it's a stomach bug, then what do you use that's an antiviral? Yeah, just elderberry. That's what a stomach bug is, right? A stomach virus. I don't, yes. I don't believe in them, but you do, so that's fine. I'm happy to go along with you. Um, I think that it, what people call stomach bugs really is food poisoning, and there's a lot oh. more food poisoning than people people know. Um, but it can be difficult to track it down mm-hmm. and to really be totally clear about right. what's happening. So, I don't think that they will ever forgive you if you give them wormwood, however. You know it's horridly bitter. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I um, I had not tried, so. Um, well, that's, so yeah, I mean, I was pretty certain it was food-related. I just didn't know that it would, you know, quite last this long because generally speaking, you know, I, I thought the, uh, 
my general understanding of foodborne illness is that it's like, you know, maybe 48 hours or something. Um, but, you know, there haven't been any other symptoms, really. Uh, so There are so many different foodborne illnesses that they can really present quite different ways. Right. And you feel, yeah, so like, and even if we all ate the same thing, it could maybe only affect two of us, possibly. Absolutely. Absolutely, without a doubt. Okay. Yeah. So that's what I think it is, too, then. Um, I mean, that was definitely my instinct on it. That's why I didn't really do anything at first, because uh, she didn't really want the slippery elm, and then my little one, you know, she likes it, so she'll make it herself and eat it, but... Um, yeah, I just, I guess once we get to day four or five, I started getting a little worried, you know, because it's just, I don't know. It's a lot, you know. Is it bloody? No, no, it's not bloody. Are they eating? Um, Yes, yeah. There was only one day that my four-year-old. I do not think that there is any critical danger. Right. Okay, yeah, I hear that. Um, yeah, my my eight months old now actually did get uh, salmonella. I, I don't know, we don't know how. Uh, he wasn't even eating yet. He was like five months, I guess. And um, uh, yeah, I wasn't sure, you know, because I was thinking that might be a situation where you would use wormwood, but I didn't know about, obviously, with, like, infants or children, if they get salmonella, is that still foodborne? I mean, like, or would you consider that, I guess that's not a parasite, that is foodborne, right? So Exactly, exactly. Okay. And, and slippery elm really kind of sops up those things and keeps them from... Often with foodborne bacteria, it's not even the bacteria itself that's a problem. It's the waste product from the bacteria mm-hmm. that acts as a poison in the human system. Mm-hmm. And the um, um interferes quite a lot with that. Okay. Well, that's my go-to, so I guess I'll just stick to that then. I would say stick to that, and I will also share with you what they told me when I complained diarrhea during my radiation treatment, they said brat, and I thought they were calling me a name. But what they were talking about was B R A E, which is bread, rice, applesauce, and tea are the cures for diarrhea. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm actually familiar with that myself, and so, yep, my kids love the applesauce part, especially in, like, toast, so. Yeah, yay applesauce. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm so glad that my battery lasted. I was worried (laughs) that it was just going to cut me off in the middle because I, you know. Oh, it didn't, Ray. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Green blessings. Good night. Thank you. Green blessings. Good night. All right. And we have uh, two callers that have their hand raised. We'll go to the next caller in the 504 area code. In the 504, you are live with Susan. 
Thank you, Sarah Ellen, and good evening, Susan. This is Kevin in New Orleans. Hey, Kevin. We're still <laughs> smiling from the wonderful time we spent with you. Thanks for coming up and oh, sharing with us. Oh, God. I had such a great time. Um, I had two questions. One was when we're making tinctures and we have a metal lid on the container, do you advise adjusting the level of alcohol as far as the quantity so it does not touch that metal rim or does it not really matter? I find that it only really matters if I'm going to leave the tincture up against that metal for extended periods of time, like more than two or three years. What do you typically see? For, oh, I apologize. Let me say it like this. There's a tincture of blue vervain that has turned pitch black. I don't see any sediment, like a, a rusty reaction, but it was definitely touching the metal of a kind of typical mason jar style lid. Is it usable? Probably not. What does it taste like? Haven't tasted it. Too, <laughs> it often, too, uh, often that black color indicates some, I don't know what kind of conversion, which makes it just tasteless. It's just pretty obvious as soon as you taste it. It's like, whoa, this just turned into black water. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And is it, it may be the lid. It also may be that it oxidized. Can you talk about that? What is that process and what do I need to avoid if I have an oxidized tincture? Well, we know oxygen just loves to interact with things. <laughs> Great. Right. <laughs> it is the original free radical. Right. Zipping around and uh, just it's saying, oh, let me come in here. And it's a darkener, right? It causes rust. It causes age spots. It causes um, tannins to be expressed in plants so that they turn black. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. And I, my guess, um, knowing just a tiny bit about tanning, is that tannins um, denature molecules, and they just take the tincture apart. Got you it. get to a certain level of, of, of that. It, if it's already present in there, you know, then the plant can cope with that like an oak bark. But if it's just suddenly built up, because there is quite a bit of tannin in vervain, through an interaction with the metal or an interaction with oxygen. Mm-hmm. So the taste is the test. The taste will definitely let you know. It won't harm you if you taste something. Even if it's noxious, it won't harm you. Just <laughs> spit it out and eat a bite of ice cream or something. <laughs> Perfect. And then right. for the previous call that you at, you were talking about wormwood, what's the best way to have that tincture on hand should I want to travel? Would you use dried root? Would you use dried... I use the tincture of fresh wormwood in okay. vodka, 100 proof vodka. Full plant, not just one portion. Not just... Well, I don't dig up the root, the above ground part of the plant. Above ground. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much, and green You're welcome. Love you, bye. Love you. Bye-bye. Green blessings. 
All right. And at this time, we've got about, what, 13, 14 minutes before our guest joins us. And we have one caller that has pressed one with a question. And you're dialed in. I really expected you to say two because you've been saying two all night. Every time we said, okay, and now there's two callers. I'm like, she just keeps saying two. We're down to one. Hooray. (laughs) Oh, there was then, but somebody went away. So, um, okay. Um, But it might be. So here we go. We're going to go to the 815. And um, do you have a question in the 815? You're live with Susan. Hi, Susan. I do. I was wondering if seaweed needs a specific preparation. I was listening to your teleseminar with Ryan Drum, uh-huh. and I missed that detail. If um, And I thought in one of your blog talk shows you referenced it needing a long cooking time. I have, like, bladder wax and wakame and dulse, and they're all dried and I wasn't sure what the proper... Dried is absolutely fine. And each of those seaweeds is a different texture. It's kind of like asking, what's the best way to prepare a vegetable? Or saying something that I've heard people say, which just strikes me as incredibly funny, which is, I don't like mushrooms. And they always say, how can you not like mushrooms? There's so many different tastes and textures. So it's quite individual as to the specifics of how you're going to use that, yes? Yes. Yeah. So the dulse is the lightest of them. I like to take dulse and throw it into a hot cast iron skillet with a tiny bit of olive oil and crisp it up, and it tastes and smells like bacon. Wakame is a super thick, super heavy brown seaweed, which needs to be put in a soup or stew or soaked overnight and then cut up. It's a classic part of the broth that miso soup is made with. And then the third one that you have is nori. Bladderwack. Bladderwack. Bladderwack is usually used only by people who want an effect on their thyroid because it does not taste lovely. Of all of them, it is the strongest tasting of the seaweeds. The others, the dulse, as I said, you know, can be toasted up and will taste like bacon. And the um, wakame is really quite good in a variety of different cooked dishes. But the bladder rack is not going to be something that anyone probably is going to be eating because it has such a super strong, fishy, oceany taste. Unless you want to stop taking thyroid medication. And that's why Ryan and I were talking about it. 
And I know you and Ryan had mentioned if someone has their thyroid removed, they have to be on the medication, but they can reduce their dosage if they incorporate the seaweeds. That's what Ryan has seen in his experience, yes. Yeah. Cool. And bladder wax not tasty, but helpful for thyroid support. And since it's so tough, that one needs it's to be It's usually used long. powdered and mixed into something like yogurt or applesauce or some kind of thick juice. Powdered, so it being dried and powdered it's is enough. Dried and like it's. Cook. It's called powdered, but it looks more granular. Right. Could I powder, because I have bladder wax dried, could I powder it myself and mix it in? You could try. It's not easy to powder. It's pretty tough. Got it. Would it be too tough to eat? Because I like the salty ocean flavor. I'm probably... 70% you, can, you can give it a try and see. You'll know better than anyone, you know, what you can do. One of the things that I have heard Ryan say many times is that our bodies actually have to learn how to make use of nutrition that is in seaweed. And That's that right. it comes about from repeated exposure to it. So the more seaweed that we eat, the more likely we will be to get the nourishment that's in the seaweed. And if it's just like a, a now and then inconsistent thing, then mm. we're not going to get as much as if it's a regular part of the diet. That's right. And I believe he was saying there's about a six-week increment for the digestive tract to really be able to assimilate it. I remember hearing him talk about that. Yes, I think it varies from seaweed to seaweed, though. Mm. I don't think it's the same for all of it. I think the really light ones, like nori and dulse, are, are almost immediately useful. Because at one point I said to him, well, nori doesn't count as seaweed. He says, yes, it actually counts a lot because many people are willing to eat it and because it's so easily used. Why doesn't nori count? I mean, obviously it, we don't have to w wait long periods of time if um, when the Scandinavian countries wanted to counter uh, radioactive iodine uptake, they mm -hmm. passed out pills of seaweed so that people would be rich in iodine. Right. Mm. So it, it would seem to me that perhaps the six-week is to be able to get everything out of it, but that even immediately you get out of it its ability to draw down lead levels in the body. That doesn't take any waiting at all. Okay. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for asking. Green blessings. Green, green blessings. All right. And I'm not seeing any more callers with hands up in the queue, but I do see that our guest is here um, a little early. 
wonderful that gives us an extra few minutes to enjoy Juliet Gaia, founder of the Depths of Feminine Wisdom School. Juliet has supported over 3,000 women and men and couples across five continents on the path of healing and awakening to the union of feminine and masculine essences. Her guidance comes through her direct connection to the divine union wisdom stream and her embodied wisdom of living the inner union and being in intimate relationship as a spiritual path. Juliet was born in South Africa, where she spent most of her waking life. She has traveled internationally, offering her body of work for some years. She now attends Holy Land in New Mexico with her partner and soul family. Her wisdom school offered three layers of initiation through online and in-person group programs and private mentorship for people on the embodied path of awakening through uniting with the earth and the divine. Welcome to the show, Juliet. Thank you, Susan. So how long have you been living in New Mexico? I've been living here for four years now. Mm. Mm. I had a a lover who moved to New Mexico. She wanted to <laughs> live somewhere dry because she thought that it would be very good for her lungs, but it turns out that a lot of the dust in New Mexico is radioactive. Oh, okay. She actually got lung cancer and died because she moved to New Mexico. So I love you, love you, Rosemary. Sorry, golly. Wow. So um, what what occasioned that? It's, it's different than where you were born and spent your all your waking hours. I know, I know. It it's like I was flipped upside down. <laughs> <laughs> so was it because you found love there and that caused you to move or was there something about that land itself that drew you there? Yeah. Well thank you for that question and I was at, just listening to your beautiful show about the the herbs and there's lots of natural um, herbs, wild herbs growing here on the land. Um, but to answer your question, so, you know, I lived in South Africa for most of my life in Cape Town, which is by the ocean and the mountains. And I just felt really called to um, come to America. And it was just through a, a synchronicity of events where I actually got invited to um, hold a, a workshop here in the States. Um, in Boulder initially and so I held a workshop for my work with women and then I I just felt very drawn to this area and I came back a few times and then um, I got this very clear sign to, to root down in Boulder and that's actually when I did meet my partner um, and he he brought me to this land in New Mexico. And as soon as I came onto this land, I fell in love with it. Um, And it just felt like such a strong call to this land. Um, And he's been connected with the land for many, many years. 
And um, just before the pandemic, um, heard clear guidance to pack up our things in Boulder and to come and live here. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. So I've been on land. And it, it's different to most of New Mexico, actually. It's quite lush. We're high up um, in a valley in a forest by a stream. So we have abundance of water. Um, wow. Yeah, so it's a little less dry than the rest of New Mexico. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so yeah. you work with divine union. Can you tell us what that means? Yes, sure. So um, what I mean by the divine union is um, the union of the divine masculine and feminine with inside of myself and connecting with the primordial essences of the earth and the sun and for healing and awakening. Yeah, so... And I, I felt a very, very strong um, energy here of the divine feminine on the land in New Mexico. And as soon as I got here, I just experienced so much healing um, by just being here on the land. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this place... I, was... I, I, I have a, I have mm. a big problem with mm. the word feminine. And the reason that I have a big problem with the word feminine is that it's a cultural belief system. Right, now, I am yeah. female, and I work with female energy. And the yes. word shaman means woman with drum. It doesn't mean feminine. Mm-hmm. In fact, most of the female powers are not feminine at all. Mm-hmm. So when I hear this feminine, it's it's off-putting to me. And also, I don't consider myself at all feminine. I'm all female, but I'm not feminine. Nor do I have any desire to be feminine. Sorry, you what? I don't have any desire to be feminine. I'm yes. female. I don't need to be feminine. Yes, I can. I can see the relation that you have with that word. But when I'm talking about feminine, I'm talking about all of creation, the power of creation and the earth energy. So maybe that's what I am saying is that feminine does not relate in any way to what those concepts that you're talking about, but the word female does. Because feminine is a strictly social concept. So in most cultures, the sun is female. So when you're talking about the solar energy, are you talking about feminine? Well, I actually don't. I would prefer... Probably not. You're probably talking about masculine because your culture sees the sun as masculine. And I'm not against that. But what I'm saying is it's a cultural concept. Feminine, masculine don't have any essences, but female does and male does. Those things are found in nature. There are female plants and there are male plants. There are no feminine or masculine plants. Right. Well, we can use the... So so I really urge you to cut it out with feminine and masculine. 
and to really talk about what you're really talking about, which is female and male. That's what's in nature. Right. Well, I'm I'm happy to speak speak with those words if you would prefer. Yes, I'm I'm not just tonight. I'm urging you to do it all together to really make this change in your teaching so that you represent the female. Because the female needs voices, and the feminine doesn't. Right. So what's the divine what? feminine to you? There is no divine feminine, but there's a divine female, and she's called goddess. And she's not feminine. She kills. Right. She's bloodthirsty. She's mean. She's angry. She's snaggletoothed, as well as bringing the spring and the summer, the rain, and all things. But she is all things. She is not feminine. She's female. And I, personally, also don't believe that I need to unify myself with anything that is different than myself. Every cell of my body contains X, X, female, female. As a female, I am whole. I am complete. I am the perfect union. Every man's cells contain X and Y. In order for him to be whole, he must find and honor the divine female, the X, within him. Very important for the man to have that union because he doesn't have it as a natural gift, which every woman has. Mm-hmm. And we only see this when we understand female and male, because female and male is about real things and feminine and masculine isn't. Right. I mean, I just feel like it's a matter of words, but I really, um, you know, I relate very similar to you in terms of what you're speaking speaking about. I just use different words. That's why I really don't like words, Susan. <laughs> I <prefer> ah. it. <laughs> it's so true, isn't it? Images, yeah. sounds, yeah. sense, feelings, <laughs> dances. They're all so much more what we're talking about, which is even the duality of union, because union already is broken. We don't want want to, we don't really want union. We want something that is whole. We want wholeness, and this is, this is, again, why I see wholeness as so different for women and men. Yes. So we might say to a woman, we're going to help you find the fierce goddess. And, you know, certainly that kind of fierceness in our culture is thought of as a masculine trait. Hmm. But it's not masculine that we're helping women find. We're helping the woman find herself, her wholeness as a woman. Mm. <laughs> In fact, many teenage girls feel oppressed by, by having to be feminine. 
Yeah, I mean, I can share with you my journey. Um, that would be wonderful. Tell us about your journey, yes. discovered, you know, who I was. Um, you know, I grew up in a culture, and I grew up, um, you know, going to school and going to university and creating from my conditioning and my cultural conditioning. And my body shut down. You know, my heart shut down, my womb shut down, and I just started to search, and I had a deep yearning inside of my heart and my body for something more. And I landed up meeting an amazing woman called Dr. Shakti Milan, and we spent 10 days in the wild with women in nature. And it was on that retreat that I merged with the body of the earth, and I felt the power of creation moving through my body. And my whole reality shifted. It's like I was round in a square box. And this fire of creation that ignited, like the kundalini goddess from the earth, ignited through my womb, ignited through my heart, and I couldn't say no. And then I spent two years in nature, laying on the earth, in the waters, in the earth, with the sun, with the air, and I just let the goddess move through me awaken me and heal me and it was during that time that my whole life changed my job my marriage everything just dropped away I had nothing left except my body and me and the earth and that's what I learned from Susan I didn't learn from books I haven't learned from teachers I've learned from the earth and I've learned from the sun and I've learned from the waters and I've learned from the sky and I've learned from the air and that's how I've lived my life. And that's what brought me here. You know, I don't, don't like to relate in concepts or teach concepts. It, that's not how the work moves through me. It, works, it moves through me as a transmission. And that's why I don't really like words. Because <laughs> every human being has got a different idea of what different words mean to them. So, yeah, it's... It's yeah, kind of yeah. Evolved, so, isn't you know. isn't it interesting then to have to be in a way limited to that or pushed? How do you expand that with the with the people that you work with? They how do you expand? How do you expand beyond they, the words? They get touched by me. They touched. They get, they're touched by the work, by the transmission, by the energy. In the way that you were. Pardon? In, in, like in your story. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Direct yeah. transmission. The, the Aboriginal people of Australia uh, focus on that more than anything else. It's direct transmission of knowledge from um, yeah. the, one person to another, or from the earth to a person. It's yeah. quite it's quite stunning when it happens to you. Yeah. Yeah. It did. I mean I went through quite a long time with no words. It was just silence. And I and I could just see, you know, people's identifications talking and masks talking and what's not real talking and not truly connected to their beings. You know, it's 
you know, to really drop out of the head and out of concepts and to connect with with the goddess, it's it's a completely different realm of reality in my experience. I absolutely hear you. Mm-hmm. And is there a particular way that you help people encounter this? Do you All find right. that you to do it in person? Can you do it online? Is it a fast process? In a way, I always think, well, yes, it's actually a process of a moment. It happens in an instant. It's an instantaneous process, but it may take years and years and years to get to that moment. Yeah, I mean, you know, just personally, I've had many different awakening experiences, but then it takes time to integrate the awakening into the living life. Um, So it can be realized in a moment. Um, Of course, it can be realized in a moment. And then it takes time. That's been my experience, to integrate um, the wisdom teachings into the way that we live our lives, the way that we relate, the way that we create. Um, So my approach has been to create a a held container over a 13-month journey um, where we Ah. have a deep sisterhood um, circle and, and then we do meet in person as well. Yeah, like I've got a nine-day women's retreat in South Africa in February next year, and that's for the women who are on my 13-month program where we are, you know, deepening into into the connection with the goddess together. So it's multimedia. Yes, yeah, in person yes. and online. Yes. yes, exactly. So that, so that you can um, stay connected, and it's so important when we kind of stop our lives and make the effort to travel together, to live together. All right, like at the beginning of the show, I was talking about, oh, you know, these dear friends, and we live together. It was only for you know a little while. What Thursday night, Friday, Friday night, Saturday, Saturday night. Mm-hmm. And then by some people were leaving. But nonetheless, we were living together, and it makes a difference to be in each other's presence. Yeah, and it, it creates a safety. You know, I think a lot of women say to me they feel deeply safe and seen and felt by me. Um, and it's a, it's a subtle energy, and we go really deep. So um, mm. there get get healed and felt and opened um, that don't know love, that haven't been seen, that haven't been embraced, that haven't been welcomed. Um, and these layers unfold like a thousand petaled lotus, you know, petal by petal when they're ready. And the healing happens. There's an immense amount of um creative energy that, that opens through the woman's bodies and love energy as well. Um, so it, it's both. It's, it's, it's healing um, and embracing the parts of us that are needing that healing and that love 
without changing and fixing and getting rid of. It's a, it's a full embrace of everything um, that is ready to be seen and loved. And then there's also a creational um, process to the, to the program too. Do you want to speak more about that? About the creational? Uh-huh. It was so intriguing the way you said that. (laughs) Sure. So the way that I can share it, it's almost like a a lot of, hmm, how can I put this? It's like as the women drop down and in, and really come into their bodies, like in a deep way, into their flesh, into their bones, into their hearts, into their yonis, and they really connect deep down with the earth, then there's a creational life energy that starts to rise through them. And it's like a birthing of the soul, it's a birthing of why they are truly here and who they truly are. And then when they start to get that connection with their essence, then there's a creation from the goddess rather than from cultural conditioning or family conditioning or from the lineage or the collective. And there's a, there's a creation from who they truly are um, inside of themselves. An unshakable connection. Unshakable, yeah, like the ground of the being. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. It, it differs from other kinds of experiences, I think, that that we have in the, the absolute certainty of it. I remember talking many years ago with one of my um, correspondence course students who had been diagnosed with terminal cancer and had been allowed in uh, to a study on psilocybin. And she and I think it was maybe a handful, five or six other people, uh, had been given psilocybin. And they all had the experience of, exactly as you're talking about, opening up, opening up to life. And in mm-hmm. that opening up to life, we open up to death as well. And so mm-hmm. the death is no longer the, the boogie thing anymore. And <clears throat> what that happened was all, everybody else in the study died, but she didn't. They were wrong. She didn't have terminal cancer. And she said that it stayed with her. It echoed through her for about 10 years. And then she mm-hmm. started to lose it. Mm-hmm. And so the, we, we find that this work, when, when we do it together as women, that it, it has long echoes out into life. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And I suspect that you probably keep the groups fairly small. Yes, well, quite interestingly, most of the women that join my programs aren't from America <laughs> because I've spent a lot of time in Europe and South Africa and Canada. So it, it depends, Susan. Sometimes the groups... The, the 13-month program, the groups are between 30 and 50 women, and then um, they get smaller as we go deeper because I have a facilitation training after the initial healing and awakening journey, and then 
more of an apprenticeship journey. So then they get smaller and more intimate. Um, and the retreats are usually about 20, groups of 20. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Mm-hmm. What, what else do you want to talk about that's uh, exciting you right now? <laughs> well, um, I don't really know. I mean, I feel like while I was listening to your show about the curb, um, it really sparked some inspiration for me around the land. And we have these this wild apothecary on the land. And I was actually out on the land and harvesting rose hips today. And harvesting what? Rose hips. Rose hips, lovely. Yeah, and I was just really, you know, tuning into the connection up with the earth in that way. Um, you know, that, that's been new for me the last four years is to really connect with land through harvesting herbs and planting a garden and... Um, growing vegetables and I find you know when you ask me how you know how I work with women and um, in creating that connection with the goddess it's very much meditative and um, like working with a healing energy but I would also say that actually being in direct connection with the earth um, in a co-creative way I find is so deeply healing and nourishing for my body and being. Um, yeah, so just felt to, you know, share that with you because it seems as if you're very much connected to the, the, the herbal world and wondering about your experience of that and what brought you to that in your life. To the herbal world and to the natural world. Mm-hmm. Um in investigating various ways of being, I stumbled upon the um, idea that dairy products were not good for me. And mm-hmm. after avoiding them for a while, I saw my health um, become very fragile. And I realized how critically important dairy was to a long and healthy life. Mm-hmm. However, I did not much care for the dairy that I had available to me. And so I determined mm-hmm. that since I wanted dairy as a daily part of my diet, I would need to keep dairy animals myself. Mm-hmm. And decided to keep dairy goats and kind of started out, you know, doing it by the book with fences and so on. And after a year of mending fences, I took myself in hand and said, really, is this what you want to do? You want to be like fixing fences? all of your life? And I said, no. So I pulled up all the fences, and now I go out with goats. So after we milk the goats and strain the milk and put it away, make cheese if we need to, then we go outside with the goats, and we wander about in nature and sit in nature. And as you say, um, I allow nature to be my teacher, and I've been allowing nature to be my teacher daily, for, oh, gosh, probably uh, 60 years. 
And mm-hmm. what I see in nature is I never see any shame or blame or guilt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's no wrong or right. <laughs> no wrong or right. I've never seen a goat apologize to a plant for eating it. It's interesting you share that because I've been off dairy for a long time and dairy and and wheat and sugars and you know I have noticed that I have become more weak Um, so what I'm hearing from you is that there's ways in which to get the nutrition from dairy from other sources no I didn't say that and I would never say that I do not think you can be healthy without dairy in your diet I think that the choices you're making in your diet are going to lead you to a shortened life and to illnesses Mm -hmm. that you could avoid if you would eat better so you're saying that that having your own goals so basically raising, making your own dairy is the way. Is that, is that, that was certainly think? my choice. Right. But meanwhile, I ate the best quality yogurt I could find. Right, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. But, which actually, you know, I say to vegans that good quality yogurt is further away from the animal than organic produce is. That organic produce, after all, was grown with animal manures in order for it to be organic. But the yogurt is the uh, excrement of the bacteria. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's nowhere near an animal. Right. So I say if you're willing to eat organic produce, you should be willing to eat organic yogurt. It is, after all, plant-based food, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is, and... Just to, to, to clarify. I mean, animals only ate plants. Milk is first herbal medicine and best herbal medicine always. Right. I, just to clarify. And it doesn't have to be fluid milk. I bring in two, two to two and a half gallons of milk every day, and maybe over the course of a year I might drink four cups of milk. But I eat a lot of yogurt and cheese. <laughs> mm. uh, so I think that empowering women is really sacred work, especially right now. Do you think that there's a right now to your work? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a there's just a quickening. Um and I feel like the women on the planet are really the the birthers of the new way. For sure, that that feels clear to me, um, and it feels. And so you you are there to support the birth to yeah. So I support women to fully come into into themselves, to birth themselves, to find the depths of who they are and and in that they then bring forth the goddess through through their bodies through their hearts through their work through the through their creations through their voices and then that ripples out into their relationships and creations and i'm also connected to a um an earth 
Council, Oracle Council, I, I don't think I shared that with you in, in my bio, um, but that came through actually here on this land. And it's a council of women that are connected to sacred sites around the world. And we um, meet on the equinoxes and the solstices, and we meet in ceremony together. Um, and it's a really beautiful um, circle of wise women, and each woman shares their wisdom through the ceremonial process. And that's been very healing for many people who have attended those ceremonies. Thank you for doing that. That is so important. Blessings upon you. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I could, I could talk to you on and on. You have so much interesting things to share. But we're on a show that is going to slam a door on us in just a few minutes. So is there anything that you wanted to talk about tonight that I haven't asked you yet? No, Did you want to let, let uh, women know how to get in touch with you or any other details like that? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, they're welcome to get in touch with me um, via my email um, address, which has got the word that you don't like. <laughs> it's earth, and that's the email address. And um, I'd rather hear you say the word you're going to change, not the word I don't like. <laughs> but I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> oh. All right. So, um, you know, I envision that we are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients, mm-hmm. and I invite you to take this moment to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's listening something that's coming through you from the goddess within, from the earth, from all of that which is whole. Mm-hmm. Okay, so deep down in the well of your being, when you rest there in the silence you will hear who whispers guiding you and you will know and you will know there will be no mm-hmm. question no doubt mm-hmm. you will know mm-hmm. <sighs> thank you so much for all of the beautiful threads that mm. you are weaving into this great reweaving of the healing cloak of the ancients. Sarah Ellen, thank you so much for <laughs> helping in the restoration of herbal medicine as people's medicine. And listeners and callers, thanks to you as well. Here it comes, the Equa Knox Equal Day and Night. It's time to stand eggs on end, but not to hold your breath. Watch for it. Suddenly, it will start to be darker and darker. That's okay. The sun will come back. Green blessings, everybody, and good night.